Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come into the studio today. We pray that you would come into this series. We consecrate ourselves to you for it and in it. Consecrate our hearts, consecrate our thoughts, consecrate our preparation. We consecrate the studio and the technology. We bring this series and today's recording into the love of God under the rule of Jesus. And we pray the kingdom of God around us. We pray the victory of Christ over us. We pray the full shields of the kingdom of heaven here. We declare the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We declare, as Colossians 2 proclaims, that having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he triumphed over them by his cross. So we pray and command the victory of Jesus Christ now over us and around us, beneath us, in our technology, in our studio, in our hearts, and in our, our union with you. Jesus, we pray that you would come and lead us, come and bring the conversation in such a way that it's exactly what our listeners need. Yes, God. Shepherd us, shepherd this, shepherd thought and memory and story and interpretation. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. Wanted to include you in our studio prayer this morning because it matters. And the things that we are unpacking in this series are really significant, super important, really, really helpful. So much joy ahead for you as you learn and master these things, learn and practice them and grow. Want to start with this scripture this morning out of John 10. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He says he calls his own sheep by name. I love that. He names you and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That I have come, that they may have life and have it to the full. I just want to make it clear as we are in episode three this week in a multi-part series on spiritual warfare. I want to make it clear that we are just people who are chasing life. <laughs> like that, that's actually the point here. The point isn't the enemy. The point isn't warfare. The point isn't learning how to deal with these different things necessarily. The point is we're chasing life. But as Jesus makes very clear in this passage, if you want to have that life, you have to live like you have an enemy. So Morgan's back and Blaine Eldridge also this week to unpack some scriptures together, share some stories. Friends, if you're just dialing in, this is part three, and we've unpacked some pretty big things, set a stage in parts one and two. You might want to pause and actually go listen to those first and then dial into this one or certainly catch up with them after this one today. Episode one, we were just talking about the biblical worldview and that we live in actually a very populated (laughs) 
universe with angels and fallen angels and heavenly creatures and the elders and all this stuff going on around us and how helpful it is to know that so that you aren't blaming God or yourself or other people for the war that you find yourself in because we are we are at war. And so episode one, we went in and unpacked a lot of who are the characters on the stage, what are they up to, pointing out the hopefulness that there's a whole lot more good angels than there are fallen ones, and you've got God on your side, and the victory of Christ, and then that's where we went in the second episode was really, let's start with the victory of Jesus and what he has won back for us. And so over the next several episodes, we're going to get into specific categories of spiritual warfare and how you deal with them. And this week, it is fallen angels. It's foul spirits, demons. It's the host that fell with the enemy. And so I want to set our context up and then begin to unpack a little bit about how he works and how we win. So Revelation 12, back to that story again, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent, back to Genesis 3, called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So just a couple things to point out quickly in that. People say, wow, Satan was really attacking me last night. Probably wasn't actually Satan. It was probably some lower ranking servant of his. There's a whole army of these guys. And we did the math last time and, you know, there's probably millions of them. But the point just being, He and his whole army have been hurled to the earth. But what I wanted to point out in here is he's called the one who leads the world astray. He is the deceiver. And in John 8, 44, Jesus says, there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I think the most helpful place to start the conversation, guys, today is just with the distortion of perspective. The enemy's great at it. And I think it is the most common experience of spiritual attack is is just the distortion of perspective in a relationship, over an email, in a conversation, over your life, your self-worth, your value, your future. As we were talking about a couple episodes ago, Morgan was pointing out, Adam and Eve, they were not fallen when they were deceived. Like sin hadn't happened yet. This is a glorious man and a glorious woman in a completely unstained garden. And yet, you know, it gives you a, it's a healthy appreciation for the, for the effect of the deceiver. So I just want to start, might not be fair to ask you this question, but I just want to start with you guys. How do you feel like you're doing in your life? as a husband, as a father, as a friend? I mean, just right now, this week, how do you feel like you're doing? John, you use the word distortion. It really helps because it is this kind of twisting of the good. And so what I'd say to that is there is almost ever present this accusing voice that often is very subtle, sometimes very strong, I shared a story in this series where 
there was genuine merit for how we had harmed a relative. Mm-hmm. It was an omission we missed. I did not handle her heart well. And that was legitimate miss on my part. But with it was this twisting of this kind of disdain of, see, like you blew it again, right? Look at who you are, right? So it's, it's not just the sin, though there was sin. It's deeper of some sort mm. of accusation about, see who you are, you're not a loving person. And so I think what I'd say is I'm growing in how I experience myself to be. And yet I can feel with more clarity the painful voice that's ever present mm-hmm. of accusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's helpful, Morgan. It is a way of framing the story. And even that list out of Revelation 12 is really helpful where as you said, Dad, you know, we've got the ancient serpent who we know who we're talking about. We're talking about a particular depraved angel who was present in the garden. And then his titles or what he gets referred to by, like the devil, which just means the slanderer or the Satan, the opposer. That element of opposition plus slander coming from this being and his gang, especially in terms of slander in a way of telling the story that goes, you're not, in your case, Morgan, like a good man being transformed into his future maturity by Jesus raising sin to you. Like you're a failure and it's going terrible. And I can think of right now it's springtime. And so the spring dreams and projects are surfacing for my wife, which have to do with gardens and what if the back door was fixed? And what if this was the summer that we got rid of that dilapidated shed? And we're on a day recently. She's really speaking out of joy. And desire. And desire. Sure. And like, it's not, let me just list for you things that you've done wrong that sort of are standing monument-like mm. in your household. But play that through the distortion of the slanderer that the disciples of Jesus are opposed by demons who want to steal joy. The profound difference between what she's saying and what I end up beginning to understand about our reality, which is, you're right, this has gone terrible. I'm not helping at all in the things that you would like my help with. I'm not interested in your joy. We're behind. You've asked me for these. And like, it just becomes this building snowball effect of, Failure, yep. shame. Yep, exactly. The thing about the distortion of perspective is you don't notice it for a while. You shall know them by their fruits. I should have picked this up sooner. Loss of joy, loss of hope, loss of a future. But I, I didn't see it till I was deep in it. But the story I want to share is over the course of the fall and into the winter One of the things I was noticing was I just began to experience what I would have called apathy around my publishing. I had a devotional come out the first of the year, and I was working on another new book, and there were these publishing meetings, but my attitude was, I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. Whatever. And it was, you know, things were not going well. The enemy is obviously very interested in halting the publishing of the Eldridge family because it has brought a lot of healing to a lot of people and a lot of hope. It's brought Jesus to a lot of people. And so 
there was this opposition against that I couldn't see because my perception was so distorted. So first it started with, I, I don't care about that. I don't care, whatever. And let it go. Let it end. I don't care. And then I noticed it in a relationship, a long relationship that Stacy and I have had for years. And there was just a sense of, you know, we're not connecting anymore with this family. We're, you know, we're not, we don't see them much anymore. Why don't we just let that go? We're just, just let it, I don't care. Let it go. And then it started really presenting itself around ransomed heart. And I honestly found myself in the fall kind of saying, you know what? I think I'm done. We've had a great run. It's been an amazing time. We've saved a lot of lives, but I think I'm done. And I still didn't see it. I didn't see this collective distortion of perspective going on until the first of the year. And we came to Stacy's hip surgery. I think somewhere in the podcast, we've probably mentioned that, but Stacy had uh, another hip replacement in January and it went great, everybody, and she's doing well. So that's a good story, not a bad story. But as Stacy was going into the surgery privately to myself, didn't share this with anyone, I thought she was going to die. I'm like, she's going to die in the surgery, which is a really bizarre thing. Okay. This isn't open heart surgery. This isn't, you know, the removal of a, of a softball sized brain tumor. This is a fairly straightforward procedure, but nonetheless, I just had this dread, this thing. And that was the thing that really tipped me off. I'm like, wait a sec. You think she's gonna die in surgery? Mm. You know, Jesus, something's gotten into my perception and through some prayer and some family prayer and some friends, what surfaced was actually huge. And, and what surfaced was this, the end of things, this spirit that was bringing about everything's ending. Your publishing is ending. Your friendship is ending. Ransomed Heart is ending. And even your wife. And it was like, holy cow, this is a massive campaign against my heart that I hadn't noticed for quite a while. Just over time, frog in the kettle, the distortion of my perspective. And it was only when I really saw the dramatic version of it, you think your wife's going to die? Like, holy cow, like Jesus, come into this, expose this, what's going on? And, and it had to begin there. I had to ask him, please expose this. And with some prayer, please expose this. What is this? What am I under? I don't know. I can't name it. And he said, this is death. This is a spirit of death. And it's trying to convince you that everything is dying. Everything is ending. It's trying to bring about the termination, particularly of the mission and the ministry and your publishing. And I had to go back and break a bunch of agreements with it and go, wait a second, I do care about that. And I do care about that relationship. And we're not going to let that go. And I do care about Ransomed Heart. I'm not quitting. I have no intention of quitting. That was never even true. No, we pray life. And, and what was particularly startling about it was finally after the surgery, I shared this with Stace. I didn't want to tell her beforehand, hey, I think you're going to die. But afterwards, I'm like, honey, like, I know this is really distorted, but I thought you're going to die. And she said, I did too. Jeez. And when I woke up in the recovery room, I was surprised. I'm like, oh, I'm still here. So you see how thick this is? Mm. Yeah. Over the the winter, Em and I were doing this Old Testament review of this cosmology that we're talking about here. What are the assumptions Jesus has about the universe? And this is the one that stuck out most was, oh, absolutely, we experience personal attacks from foul spirits. That's clear in the story. That's clear in our instructions of how we are to operate. And how much the biblical authors assume 
that the enemy is involved in the mass enchantment of people, in the mass right? corruption mm-hmm. of worldview, the mass corruption of our understanding of reality in the form of this distortion of perspective, which really, when I look at how long some of these things take, makes a lot of sense of my experience. You mentioned the death one. This one is interesting out of last year. Emma and I did have a difficult year. You know, we had a late miscarriage. We lost a dear friend. And there were very real things for Jesus to address. And as we approached the end of the year, I circled up some guys and went, I am not doing well. I have noticed that my reserves are empty and that I just feel like everything's bone on bone for me right now. And what I expected, because I knew there was a need, was Jesus to move really quickly into addressing the healing of my heart, bringing life, bringing hope. Instead, we get some guys in a circle, and two of them in particular led off with, hey, we spent some time this week praying, and here's where we think the action is. You have come to sort of assume that what it means to be living in this war is that death is your enemy. It means some familiarity with death. And it was basically incomprehensible because I went, we are at war. Death is the enemy. And <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. Right. It was, I'm sorry. Yeah. Would you please start praying for me? Now, yeah, your just point. said the obvious. And what's so helpful about this example is it's true that we're at war. It's true that we are partnering with Jesus in the restoration of all things. But what the enemy was doing and trying to distort my perspective of reality was just get it like slightly off where it went, yes, sure, we're at war. But what it means is it's a war of attrition against death. That's the war that you're in. And it was like, whoa. And so coming out of that, we're like, you need to renounce false familiarity with death. Because like we said at the beginning, this is about life. Yes. And actually, like, death is the enemy of Jesus, and he destroyed death in his cross resurrection and ascension and Mm -hmm. go, oh my goodness, the effect of this kind of enchantment on my worldview has just been to make the story seem pretty heavy. Heavy and dark. It's dark. Yeah. Participating in the spiritual war is going to be grisly. It's a war of attrition. And then coming out of it being like, oh, it's not that at all. Like, Mm. it's not me versus death. I'm not just going to gain an increasing familiarity with darkness. Far the opposite. And yet the enchantment was still there and needed other people, prayer and all the other tools to like get it off. Yeah. Yeah. And again, again, we're tossing out the phrase, you shall know them by their fruit. Mm. But I hope you hear that in these stories. The fruit, you can begin to see it by its fruit. Loss of hope, loss of joy, right? Loss of a future, loss of dreams, just kind of an inevitability. Yes. You're looking at the fruit of, oh, it's just inevitable. Everything's going to eventually shut down. Or earlier, the fruit of, you suck as a friend, you suck as a relative, you don't love well. Just looking at the fruit and going, well, it's discouragement, accusation, I feel defeated. Anytime the fruit looks like that, right? Like, let that be a warning to you that some sort of distortion of perspective is going on. The accuser is now in the story, right? 
Uh, John, as I listen to your stories, I'm just reminded that the power of interpretation, how we see it. I mean, it makes sense why Jesus said there are things in our power we must do to have our seeing transformed, aligned with reality. Just in risky disclosure, one of the frontiers for me, my children, Joshua's 14 and Abigail's 11, and they are in the midst of their initiation, and it is my passion. I live, breathe, eat dream of the initiation of my children and and by initiation because they're maturing word. yeah they're maturing Shaping they're growing they're developing young adults absolutely yeah. they're developing into mature adults and so often i will be in the midst of some activities that are kind of centered around their hearts and god's work in their growing development learning and there's just a little voice of, man, you're blowing it. A voice of, you don't really care that much. Or a critical voice of, you know, last night we were installing some cabinets and Joshua is coming in with his tool belt and all of his tools and he's stoked about it. And he's leading a lot more in things from other projects we've done. He's learned he has so much that I never had because of his initiation so far. And there's just this critical voice of like, man, look how critical you are of his work and look at how you're just uh, thinking of other things. And when I back up and I come back to Christ, I go, wait a second, like God loves what's happening here. Like it's actually beautiful. And the part that I'm risking is I have given up my agenda for what I think their path needs to look like. And in many ways, I've been moving into participating with what God is doing. But instead of celebrating that kind of posture of honest humility and participation of God. How are you initiating my son? How are you maturing? What is on his frontier? Instead, it's a posture of, man, I'm really not enough. I'm really missing out. I really don't care. When the truth is, it's my passion. And I care more than few other things in my world. And so I'm aware when I see through that lens, it causes me to back off and yeah. doubt yeah. instead of trusting in confidence that God is here and we are on time yes. and he's at the centerpiece. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the first stories we're given about the life of Jesus is the wilderness story, right? You, you have the early nativity stuff, but then you get the silent years of, of his childhood. And the next thing you know, it's the baptism by his cousin in the Jordan, and then he's off into the 40 days trial, you know, combat with the enemy. And the enemy is trying to distort perspective, just kind of watch how he works, right? Well, if you are, it's an attack on his identity. If you are, you just hear the sneer, really? You're the son of God? Come on. But it's also attack on the goodness of God. Like if God were taking care of you, throw yourself off. He'll catch you. Come on. Or to look at the armor of God. The first piece of the armor of God is the belt of truth. So what we're presenting to you listeners here is just stage one, the distortion of perspective and how common it is, how it gets into marriages, relationships. And frankly, if you don't deal with this stuff, it will steal, kill, and destroy. Marriages have been destroyed over this. Families have been destroyed over this. Churches have been absolutely ripped apart over this. You know, people have lost hope and taken their life over this. I mean, this is serious stuff. The distortion of perspective that, you know, some spin twist that the enemy's bringing in. And so I'm going to bring back to our focus from last time, James 4, 7. James says, submit therefore to God, resist 
the devil, and he will flee. And there is a requisite there. There's two, actually. The submission part, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And that formula, we're going to go ahead and just use that almost for the rest of the series because it's so simple and it's so helpful. First, something needs to be brought back into alignment with God. We talked about how sin opens the door to the enemy to oppress. We talked about that last week. So sometimes it is repentance. It is, forgive me for blowing up at my kids. I do ask your forgiveness for that. And then having done that, then there is resist. But I reject this condemnation. I reject this accusation that I'm totally terrible as a parent. Yes, I blew the moment. Forgive me, God. But I reject this. All kinds of different ways we come back into alignment with God. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I'm under this thing that's, it's the end of everything. My publishing is ending. You know, Ransom Heart is ending. My wife's life is ending. Good grief. And the first thing I had to do was I had to break agreements with it. I had made a bunch of agreements with, yeah, it's over. And I have a part to play. I'm a volitional being in this story. It's not just God make this go away. To some degree, we come back into alignment with Jesus. We come back into alignment with the truth. And then we are commanded to resist. We are commanded that, right? And to use the truth of Scripture, you know, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. And I'll wake up so many nights with accusation over something I did or didn't do, a meeting I mishandled, you know, you suck at your life. And go, no, 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 uh-uh, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation now. Like, whatever else is going on, I'm going to banish the enemy here so that I can get my perspective back. And then if there are some things to be sorted out in a relationship, or if I need to rewrite the email or whatever, fine. But without the hatred, condemnation. Oh, my goodness. What the conversation brings to mind is that we try to understand more of reality so that we can understand more of what Jesus is up to. And we look at what Jesus is up to to understand reality, like those go back and forth. But just exactly in that submit, therefore, to God, as you begin to understand the stakes of the world, the flesh, and the devil and what we're up against, suddenly a robust understanding of the strategic military action and judicial action that is the work of Christ becomes extremely helpful or all across Romans you go it is extremely helpful to know that though in Romans 5 that though sin entered the world through one man how much more will life enter through the one faithful life of Jesus and Paul making this emphatic statement of this is your life yes sin entered through the sin of Adam that is part of your legacy but it is not your story anymore, full stop. And when you're dealing with accusation, being able to turn and go, what exactly is the story? What is it that Jesus achieved in his yes. incarnation, yes. in his life, yes. in his crucifixion, in yes. his resurrection? Right. Because it gives you landing places in the sort of swirl of the enemy's lie. It really does. Because the attack is so much on our identity, it was in the desert for Jesus. The mm. attack was on his head. He had just been baptized. The Father had spoken, I'm so proud of you, you're amazing. I couldn't wish for anything yes. more, Jesus. You're everything I hoped, right? And immediately it's, if you are, if you are, yes. if you are. Three times assault, and who knows how long that actually was, but 
it was brutal enough, by the way, that angels had to come and minister to Jesus mm-hmm. afterwards, gang. So this stuff is nasty to live under. Therefore, we're going to announce the victory again. And we recommended to you Victory Over the Darkness by Neil Anderson. He has some excellent resources. But just his list, just the statement of who I am in Christ, who you are in Christ, we're going to read that to you because we want to disarm the fog that's even around this podcast right now. Yeah, you guys, this is so hopeful because as quickly as we can lose our way with the distorted perspective, when we come back to identity, we can see clearly. And when we see clearly, we realize how many treasures are right before us that the enemy's trying to steal. And so we've just found it's so fruitful to root ourselves again in our true identity, as you were pointing out, Blaine. And so in that spirit, just even as a prayer— We're just going to pray through these scriptures, and this is something that you can return to wherever you find yourself in fog, discouragement, shame, self-reproach. You can come back to these identity statements and these realities to see clearly. And so it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, I am God's son, or I am God's daughter. John chapter 15, verse 15, I am the friend of God. Romans 5, verse 1 says, I have been justified through faith. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, I am united with God and am one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, I have been bought with a price and I belong to God. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I am a member of the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 1, I am a saint. I am holy. Ephesians 1, verse 5, I have been adopted as the child of God. Ephesians 2, verse 18, I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 14, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. Colossians 2, verse 10, I am complete in Christ. Romans 8, verse 1, I am free forever from condemnation. Romans 8, 28, I am assured that all things work together for good. Romans 8, 31, I am free from any condemning charges against me. Romans 8, verse 35, I cannot be separated from the love of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21, I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. Philippians 1, I am confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be made perfect. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, I am hidden with Christ in God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, I can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the branch and the true vine, Jesus, a channel of his life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, I am the temple of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I am a minister of reconciliation for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I am God's co-worker. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 I am God's masterpiece created for good works Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 I may approach God with freedom and confidence Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 Whatever I have and wherever I am I can make it through the one who makes me who I am Oh Jesus thank you that that's true we accept it we embrace it, we agree with it. We agree and we declare that that's what's true of our lives. And so friends, as we were pointing out last week, your victory in Christ, the provision that has been made to you is so abundant and so phenomenal, so wonderfully powerful. And frankly, one of the things that encounters with the enemy will do is it will increase your appreciation for the victory of Christ and the way you share in it. I mean, in some ways, and I was pointing this out last time, the reason God has left us in this war is to mature us. He doesn't just answer it all with a snap of a finger. And he is maturing us into what you just heard, who you are in Christ, all that has happened through the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. And nothing has matured my own character my appreciation for intimacy with Jesus, my desire for the Word of God, like the war has, right? Yeah, for real. It's really helpful. I mean, when all of a sudden you are encountering, in the accusation sense, something that goes, you're just in a heavy season, it's hard to experience God right now. And you go, you see, the thing about that is, it kind of says in the Bible that nothing can separate me from the love of God, so I think you're wrong. And then... We were dealing with praying like against a foul spirit just the other night, and this doesn't usually happen, but I mean, I could kind of both sense the foul spirit's contradiction of as we're praying, and it's like, is this thing's trying to assert like, no, I have a right to be here. And it was like, oh, full stop. Mm. Okay, we're just going to work through the extent to which you don't, that like every claim that can be claimed is abolished in the death of Jesus Christ, that there cannot be condemnation held against those who are in Christ by the life of one man's sin, was eliminated from the world. So now that that's established, here's what's going to happen to you. Yes. It's all very helpful. It does. It matures you into it. If you have hung around the teaching of Ransomed Heart any amount, you've run into, and we've thrown the language of agreements around, and we teach it at our retreats, it's in all our books, and the idea of breaking agreements with the ruling lies of the enemy in your life. And sometimes it's small, simple stuff of you blow up at your child in a moment of parental failure and immediately the accusation is in there of not just you blew it then, but you are a terrible parent. You're a terrible human being. I break agreement with that. I reject that. I break agreement that I am failing as a mom. I'm failing as a dad, right? And I bring the work of Christ, the victory of Christ against you. There's no condemnation now. Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ, be gone. Submit, resist. 
submit, resist. Some of this stuff is historic. Some of this stuff has got a long line in our lives. And, you know, the death thing I was telling you, man, that had been going on for quite a while, actually, until I was really aware. And because it was so sneaky, it was, it was manifesting like as apathy mm. or, well, things just have a season to them and this is over now. You know, historic stuff and the longer stuff takes a little more resilience to break agreements with. But Ask Jesus, ask Jesus to expose the distortion of the truth in your life. You know, let there be light. Ask for it, right? Jesus, how have I come under the spell of the enemy here? Name it and break with it. Renounce it, reject it, submit and resist. John, I so appreciate what Paul says, that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what we see is temporary and what we don't see is eternal. It just feels so accessible to say, okay, this is part of our maturity. What is going on around us that we do not see? Mm -hmm. Because so often it's a maturing in our ability to discern what's happening in the spiritual realm. And so we live so much of our life based on what we see. But Paul says it very clearly, fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. Mm -hmm. And so as I mature in this, I begin to see more clearly, oh, okay, you'll know it by its fruit. Though I feel shame, though I feel self-reproach, the truth is I know that's not me. I'm going to agree with God, agree with my true identity, and then I begin to see clearly. Yeah. Let there be light. I use that a lot, gang. That's the first command in Scripture. Let there be light. Let there be light. That's actually before the sun. That's actually before daylight. Let the light of God shine into this. And Psalm says, for in your light, O Lord, we see the light. So if you feel foggy, if, you know, it's the loss of hope or the loss of a future, or you feel like a relationship has been totally ruined, Jesus, let there be light. Let there be light right now. Let the light of God shine into this. What is going on, Lord? Expose the works of the enemy here. Expose the distortion of the truth his spin, his twist, his lie, expose it. And then I choose to break with it. I reject this and I banish him. James 4, 7, you both submit, you come into alignment with God and you resist. You banish him in the name of Jesus. I reject this. Get out of this relationship. Get out of my house. Get out of my sleep. Get out of here, right? In the name of Jesus Christ. I think that's enough for today. We have more to say on dealing with foul spirits. We actually have quite a bit more to say. But when I was praying about this podcast this morning, Jesus said, go slowly. And I think he meant in this series, go slowly, make it clear. And we think that's super helpful because that's the basic way that he operates, the one who leads the whole world astray, the father of lies, the distorter of the truth, a liar from the beginning. So that's the basic way. And then we'll come back next time and just sort of pick up the conversation from here.